Hi guys, I'm from the Podcast Network, Britain and Recorded. We do the Master Series podcast. Can I ask you a few questions? What was the spark that got your business started? I was sick of living in the matrix. I like freedom. And how's it going? I'm not making any money, but I just started three weeks ago, so <laughs> I'm fine. <laughs> okay, the spark was maybe about four or five years ago. I had my own business idea, an app, and I joined Silicon Beach to find the app developers. But I really couldn't get it started, even though I joined this big community. There was no support, there was no way to find the right people, so I thought this organization needs help and I stepped up to help the organizer and four years later here I am the lead organizer and we have 10,200 members in Melbourne the largest Silicon Beach community in Australia. Now what is the one thing that you're waiting for to start your business? I haven't finished my studies yet I'm just waiting for my studies to finish and just have more experience in those we like I'm studying accounting at the moment so I would love to just stay home and just work. And why do you want to work at home? It's easier like you're just wasting a lot of time just by traveling rather than spending much time with my family. For We Teach Me, this is the Masters series where industry professionals share their secrets to business success. I'm Sarpil Shanelmish from Written and Recorded. You know, I can remember the exact moment that I decided to become an entrepreneur and all it took was one spark to jumpstart my business. If you're still waiting for ignition, we've got two jumper leads ready to rev up your startup. Ben Cohn is co-founder of TaxiBox, the mobile self-storage company responsible for yellow boxes up and down the East Coast. I love shocking the customer's experience. So people think storage, they're like, man, it's storage, who cares, it's so boring. But when you book a taxi box, along the way, you get jolted by these random things that just come out of the blue. For example, the taxi box starts talking to you on emails and starts having an affair with you. You've got to find an edge. Use your brain to think of doing things in creative ways that people are just not thinking about. We'll hear more from Ben Cohn from Taxi Box soon. But first, let me introduce you to another Ben, Ben Stickland, founder of Alliance Software. In 1999, Ben topped his graduating year of uni and was inundated with enticing offers, but he decided to jumpstart his own business instead. Ben says, sell your idea before you build it to test the market and make sure it wants what you're offering. So... The question that I want to challenge you with is how much time would you invest to dramatically increase the odds of your business success? I think that a lot of people, if they would do one week of good research, they would move their odds of success from 20%, which is in general business about the success rate of new businesses, which is about 20%. In tech startups, it's between 5 and 10%, so it's like most people fail. If they did one week of work, they could move it from 20 to 40%. If they did a month of research, they could move it to 50%. If they did three months, they could move it to 70%. It's not just doing the research, it's having the humility to listen to your market and actually hear what they have to say. We had a product in the aged care space that was a unique platform for publishing content onto the TVs of aged care residents. We had a large number of customers and our attrition rate was almost zero. Once clients got it in, they loved it. But because it was weird, it was really hard to sell. 
because it wasn't like we were replacing X with Y. We actually invented a thing. I just remember the frustration of going, it ticks me off that I have to actually get in front of somebody and educate them to what the hell this thing actually does before I can get them to consider whether or not to buy it. And that was our greatest constraint. It's nice to be able to compete against a market and go, we are this and customers get it. And then you just go, well, we're this, but our reason for buying is why. Every business, in fact, I think is hardest at the start. My observation, and I have a lot of good friends who run businesses, is it's typically three years. I use this analogy of walking up a seesaw. You spend three years walking up the seesaw, and then one day you're doing the same thing. You're actually just still walking, but it, it just feels like it just gets easier because all the background work you've done of building contacts and building net systems and building this and building that, they all still exist. And all of a sudden, one day the momentum chips over and you keep walking, and you're going, oh crap, I'm making money for the first time. And it's not hard to find employees and it's not hard to find this. And that kind of walking down the other side of the seesaw. And, and so all the business owners that I know, and I know a lot of them, would generally tell a story of it being hard for the first two to three years. In my experience, I came from a very academic family and I performed academically very well. I was at the top of my university class, both in my two undergraduate degrees and in my postgraduate degree. And it sucked being in a position where the people that you went through university with were racing up the corporate careers of the big consulting firms and you're making 25 grand a year and living off your wife's income, trying to get this damn business to work and feeling like a loser. So in every business, I would say to you, brace yourself for the first little while because it can be tough to start off. So how to be smart, and I reckon you can do this in about a month. One is keep your overheads low. So we rent in a space above a barbecues galore store. After a little while, when we got some money, we spent a bunch of money to deck it out, and it's really cool and funky inside. But the rent is actually low, and I love the low rent because it's allowed me to experiment. It's allowed me to try things and actually lose some money, and because my overheads didn't eat me, I didn't go and rent an expensive office up front. Every business owner should be able to answer this question. If you can't answer this question, you can't play. Who is my customer? How will they discover me? And why will they buy from me? Why will they switch? If you haven't got those three answers, you're not in the game. In a standard business, there are three skills you've got to have. You've got to be able to sell. And I met a lot of professionals who are actually afraid of selling. I don't know any successful business people who can't sell. You've got to understand operations and you've got to understand finance. They're the three things you've got to be able to do. And I'm going to give you one book on each of those topics that I think is the best book to read on each of those topics. So Ready, Fire, Aim is a great book on business in general, but it's got a lot of really good marketing smarts in it. It's probably one of the best business books I've read. Traction is an operations book. Traction is a book that I read coming up three years ago now whilst I was spending a couple of months in the US. We've almost followed it religiously. We've just said to our group, we're gonna do everything in this book. And Simple Numbers, Straight Talk, Big Profits is the best finance book for non-accountants that I can recommend. Uh, we're going to talk about tech businesses in a second, just to give you a little bit of background. We'd built a product called Market Samurai and uh, it had had incredible success. We had launched it and we had tens of thousands of customers and we were convinced we were technical gods who could do anything. And we had this big list of email providers and we hated all the email software because they kept doing all this nasty stuff to us. And we knew our sites were built in WordPress and everyone else's was and integration with WordPress was a mongrel. And we knew that if we just built something great in that space that did really good intelligent integrated marketing inside WordPress and handled big lists and didn't find me for everything stupid, and it was gonna be great. And so we just said, we're gonna eat our own dog food. We're gonna build this product. It's gonna be amazing. And we did, and we took it to one customer and another and another. And after we took it to 12, and they all yawned at us and said, we don't have a big list. 
that integration into WordPress, that's what we pay web developers for, they're cheap, why do we care? And it's not just a big problem and blah, 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 and we threw the product in the bin. It was a very painful experience to come home to your wife and say, you know that thing that was going to be awesome <laughs> that we spent all that money on? Yeah, it didn't work out. What we did find was that when we started doing those customer interviews, there was a couple of things in there that people really liked. We had this tool that helped people write copy and they said, oh, that bit's pretty cool. And so we came across a book. The book is called Running Lean. And Running Lean is a script that basically is like the idiot's guide to starting a tech business. And it's literally just, here is a set of interviews. Go and ring your customers and ask them these questions. Now ring them and ask them these questions. And we started following through this thing. And we've done like at least 100 interviews now. When we started out in the business, we went through this process and the second business did a lot better to the point where I didn't want to spend that kind of money again. And so we did all these interviews to confirm people would like it. And they looked really good, but I was still nervous and I'd learned to be humble. And so what we did is we said, okay, we're going to sell it before we build it. And so we put up pages and we made these videos that pretended that the product existed. And we sent traffic to these things and we asked people to buy a thing that didn't exist. And then when they got to the page that said, do you want to actually buy it? We said, it doesn't exist, but thanks for getting here. And when it comes, we'll give it to you for free. And we got no blowback. But we discovered that people were going to buy it. I knew that A, I'd interviewed individual humans who liked it and gave us feedback on features and whatever else. But I'd also sold it at a good conversion rate to the market. I kind of knew I could sell it. I knew individuals liked it and it gave me the courage of my convictions to go after it. So starting a startup, you can have incredible potential to scale. So our product, it's now called Click Video, our online content video platform, it turns written content into videos almost instantly. People spend between $30 and $50 US a month to access it. It probably costs me five cents a month to add a new customer to that. Like if a customer comes and buys, the actual infrastructure costs are maybe slightly above that, but just trivial. You've got this huge capacity of overheads that actually have to exist before you can sell to one customer. And then beyond that, it's very scalable. Tech startups have really high failure rates. They are often trying to change the world in some way and the failure rate in, in tech startups is, depending on what stats you read, 90 or 95%. And generally you're gonna require capital and or technical skill to get going. My observation has been in the tech startup space, people have done well with Goldilocks sized businesses. So you wanna solve a problem that's big enough to make some real money from. But there are some businesses, when somebody comes to me and says, I'm gonna set up an event platform that anyone in the world can use to set up their own events and tell their friends about it and they can all share it and it's like, okay, so that's a global business and you're competing directly with Facebook. And that's okay. That's not to say that it can't be done, but you're trying to change the behavior of the whole world. I've got other clients who work in a niche like aged care in Australia. I can tell you because I know that niche. There's only, I think, three and a half thousand facilities and 7,000 retirement villages. It's big enough to make money from, that's a serious enterprise, but if you have a killer offering in that space, it's a Goldilocks-sized business. It's small enough that Microsoft is not building a specialist product. But it's big enough that you can make millions of dollars. Just think about that. I've seen good success in Goldilocks-sized niches. Two hard-earned lessons and I'll wrap it up. Lesson one, just get out of the building, run problem and solution interviews, getting out of the building, that's a common tech startup phrase. It means go and talk to people. Don't just say, I've got a great idea, I know my market, and I'm going to be determined. That little phrase is highly correlated to losing lots of money. I've seen it just from my experience, just my observation. I've got a great idea, I'm going to work really hard and be determined. 
just get out of the building. Literally going and talking to five customers with problem solution interviews it will, in most cases, change your idea. Run low-cost experiments. I love running experiments. I will try anything if I can try it for under five grand. If I can try a marketing idea, or I can try any endeavor. Let's try paid spots in Instagram. Okay, it's under five grand, great, let's try it out. So this is how I see a lot of people spend their money in a tech startup environment. They consciously spend their money over time and they get to a moment of truth and they get one opportunity to be right or to be wrong. I think most people are wrong most of the time. The way you want to spend money is to get lots of moments of truth. I spent some money, oh, it didn't really look like it. I'll spend a little bit more, I'll try something. Oh, I spent a bit more, it didn't quite work. I spent a little bit more. Actually, I hit a moment of truth. I've got enough market validation that it is now worth spending the money and I'll pile the money on. I will spend at speed because I've done the background work to get the validation. So smart spending. Just some ideas for low cost experiments. Demonstrate mock-ups and prototypes. Uh, I can think of two sisters we've worked with in our software firm who have a great business tech startup in the childcare space. Whoever sent them to me had pumped up our tires. They had really crappy experience with their previous developers and they were just desperate to give me the check. It was like all the ethics in the world for me to say to them, could we just test this market first? Because they were like, oh, this is going to be great. Let me just give you the money. And as someone who likes taking money for services, that's okay. I was so tempted it was insane. I said, can we please just spend a few thousand bucks, draw some pictures, do some interviews? They came back, oh, the idea is complete crap. Two weeks later, oh, we figured out a new way. We're going to do this. We're just going to go for it. Can, can we please spend a little bit of time? And by the second time, they were happy to do it. The second idea was crap. The third idea turned out to have a lot of traction. They've spent hundreds of thousands of dollars now, and they are just at the point now where they're about to become cash flow positive. So they're just starting to nicely get traction in the market. And I suspect that their business, I don't know, they should sell it for at least five million bucks. Like it's got good traction in the market. It solves a genuine problem, but they had to go through a few rounds to kind of get there. Secondly, test marketing, that's what we did before, selling it before you've built it. There's nothing like asking someone for money to stop people being nice to you. I think it's a killer because people feel sorry for people starting businesses because they know all the pain you're going to go through and so they want to say that your idea is great. And so you just say to them, great, would you love to be a foundation investor? You know, it's going to be $20,000 a year to use this product for only $1,000 a year. I'll give you the first three years of membership. I just want to know that you're serious. Oh, I'm not. People who loved your idea will not part with 1 20th of the value to actually buy it. If you can get them all to part with the money, that's a really strong indicator. And build minimum viable products. Build small things. Build half-assed products that you're not proud of. Do the small thing. Get it to the market. Have high customer churn. Get real market feedback. I know in our video product, the things that I thought were critical, when our years down the track, our retention's gone from crap to really good, and the things that I thought were critical that I'd be embarrassed not to launch with still haven't been built. But we got something really basic into the market and our customer feedback, and every time someone left us, we got to figure out what they didn't like and what really drove their decision making. But for a long time, I wouldn't give accounts to family and friends because it was like, we've built this thing and it serves this niche market, but you're going to look at it and think it looks a bit crap and whatever else. But we were in the market, we were getting real feedback, not pretend feedback. A concierge service is a concept I'd encourage you to think about. So the classic concierge service is you're going to build a platform to help people order food from the supermarket in line with their dietary requirements and what they've got in the cupboard. All they have to do is take a photo of their cupboard once a week and artificial intelligence is going to suck out all the things they've got 
and your plan is to have this huge logistics warehouse with machines moving stuff around and doing all this stuff so that you can be really slick on the food delivery side, the concierge version of it would be put up a website, send me a photograph, a human's going to figure out what you want, a human's going to walk into Coles and buy it for you, and we're going to lose 100 bucks on every order we ship out the door, and we're going to do that for the first 500 orders, but we're going to figure out what people actually want and how this whole thing works before we invest in the warehouse and we invest in the artificial intelligence and we invest in the blah, 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 blah. That's a concierge service. Uh, and I think we're done. Thank you very much for listening. Appreciate your time. So what stuck with me is the idea of getting out of the building, run problem and solution interviews, and while you're at it, run some low-cost experiments. Thanks for all those ideas, Ben. Next up, we'll meet the man behind those yellow cubes, Ben Cohen of TaxiBox. Masters Series is presented by We Teach Me. Jumpstart your creative side and learn to make bake or partake at a face-to-face class near you. Rev your creative engine at weteachme.com. This podcast is produced by Written and Recorded. As journalists for hire, Written and Recorded will chase down your story, one that you might not even realise is there. Don't bury your headline, find your story at writtenandrecorded.com. And now, back to the podcast. Thanks, ad guy. Ben Cohen is co-founder of Taxi Box, which got a jump start when he was travelling in the United States and saw a similar business. In this fireside chat with We Teach Me's Wayne Lewis, Ben says he shocks and surprises his customers so they have a remarkable experience. To be a successful business, Ben's advice is to find your edge and think of doing things in creative ways. I ended up quitting my job to go buy property and I renovated a property for about a year and I did really well from that and I just decided to sell that and then I had a fair bit of cash. I've got a business partner in the business who I met in consulting and we decided to set up the business together. So, I mean, the hurdles were, realistically, I really wanted to make this business fairly unique from the start and I knew that one of the biggest issues in the business was the capital costs because for us, capital costs are a big thing. We had to basically buy all of our taxi boxes, which are the storage units. And so the biggest hurdle was finding a creative way to buy them at a really good price. And so we spent months in China finding factories and basically manufacturing these boxes overseas. So capital was a constraint at the start. I had some money saved up, uh, borrowed from family. Yeah, the rest was just actually, I hate to say it because it was just actually a lot of fun. Like the experience was great, traveling around China, meeting factories, being 25 years old, kind of acting like we knew what we were doing, working out of backpackers. The taxi box cover that you see driving around today was designed into backpackers by myself when I was 25 on the Illustrator. It just kind of all just worked, I don't know. It was just a good experience. And after what Ben said in that first talk, Mm. how much research did you? I didn't know anything about trucks or forklifts or warehouses. I had to get my forklift license. So there was a bunch of researching of the industry of things that we just didn't know. Probably spent three, four, five months, realistically. Researching the United States market, the industry is massive over there. Yeah, and then just baby steps along the way. Nothing in the last seven years that we've been running has been one major step. 
everything's been tiny, tiny steps. For some of you that are sort of in your mid-20s, I was there six, seven years ago in the exact same position. It's amazing. I just suddenly wake up and I look and I'm, you know, I'm running a business and everything's just been incremental steps along the way. There hasn't been this monumentous shift, this epiphany that happened to me. Ben's analogy of the seesaw as well and that tipping point of becoming cash flow positive. Yeah. Do you remember that moment for yourself as well? Yeah. We became cash flow positive probably within or break even probably six months to a year into the business. We didn't take out a salary for the first year and a half. It was just myself and my business partner for the first year and a half doing all the work. And then from there, it just gradually grew. I would say though that I don't necessarily feel like it gets easier and easier with time. The first year and a half or two years was actually quite easy for me because I just knew I had to work really hard and it was just dependent on myself and my business partner. But as the business grows, we've got staff, we operate in three cities, We've got 49 full-time team members. With that there, you've got, as humans, people have things that happen in their lives. You kind of carry a lot of that load. And so the interpersonal stuff that happens with dealing with people and dynamics at work, I actually find it really challenging. It's a complex decision. You know, trucks breaking down. We've got a fleet of trucks. They have accidents or they break down and they need servicing. It's just stuff that you never thought about. So for me, as time goes on, the odds and the stakes are much, much higher than they were. I still find ways to really challenge myself and enjoy things, but I don't, to be frank, I don't find that it gets easier with time. We probably make more money, that's true, but the emotional drain is pretty heavy in running a business. From a leadership perspective, how do you nurture your own leadership skills? This sounds really, really a bit odd, but I think that a lot of the best stuff that comes to me creatively in my mind or my views on the business is when I'm really on my own. I sometimes, I've been known to go and hire a cabin over in Hillsville and I just go there on my own for two days and I just literally spend time reading and just thinking and that gives me some great ideas for the business. In terms of the relationships in your life, has there only been any times where it's affected your marriage and things like that? Has it got too much for you? Has there been any points where you thought, this is enough for me, I want to give up and walk away? It is an absolute lie if a business owner tells you that they haven't thought of it because every business owner goes through this and has these days where they're like, oh my God, this is just horrific. It happens. I definitely have thought of that. I never really got close to really acting on it, to be honest. Like as much as I've thought of it, if someone said to me, hey, I'm going to buy a business, I probably wouldn't do it because I really love what I'm doing at the moment. But I've definitely, you know, there's tough times. Uh, and then the impact on relationships. Yeah. If my wife was sitting here, she would tell you that it's had a massive impact on things. I come home and I share things with her that she doesn't want to hear about. She can't stand the word taxi box anymore, but Stella V, she married me, so she stuck with it, to be honest. Yeah, actually, one thing is, as a personality, I like to be fairly relaxed. I do find, though, that in running a business and having staff that report to you, I've almost become a bit... Like in my conversations are very much, I'm really focusing on everything they're saying and I'm just very engaged and I find that happening in my social life as well. And people are like, bro, I feel like I'm being interviewed. And I'm like, yeah, man, I just need the information. Just tell me and we can act on it, you know? Do you have an exit plan? Does every founder have an exit plan, do you think? When we started our business, we did not think of an exit plan at all. And that really shaped the way we've grown our business. I think actually starting the business with a view as to who will eventually buy that business or what industry is going to buy that business is a really important point. 
because it actually shapes the way you're going to develop that business to eventually have a buyer. We didn't do that, and we've created an incredibly unique business that, whilst it is very sellable to people at the moment, it's not built by us to sell. So I actually don't have any desires to sell the business for the long term. I can see the view of how big the market can be. I'm doing things that creatively really challenge me in the business. I'm not necessarily driven by money as much as challenging myself creatively or doing things that are really different or challenging the status quo. So in this business, I've got plenty of scope to be able to do that. And what does drive you then? I love shocking the customer's experience. So people think storage, they're like, man, it's storage, who cares, it's so boring. But when you book a taxi box, along the way, you get jolted by these random things that just come out of the blue. For example, the taxi box starts talking to you on emails and starts having an affair with you. If you get a quote on our website and you actually get the quote emailed to yourself, you can click a random button and it goes into this Tetris lookalike game where you play and depending on your score, you actually get discounts off your taxi box. Wow. So it lures you back into the process and our business is absolutely littered with surprises along the way. That's the stuff that just absolutely I love. And people book a taxi box and like, man, I was getting storage and holy crap, I'm never going to any other storage company again because the experience was completely radically different. I can talk about the stuff for hours. Our business is just filled with these things. Are they the kind of ideas that you pick up when you're in this cabin in Hillsville? Yeah. Is that the, is not the more operational strategic yeah. side, but more of these creative Mario type things? Right? Yeah, 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 it's true. It actually happens over weird dinners with friends where they're like, man, you should do something. And I'm like, we're doing it. We're yeah. just going to do it. These ideas come out of really random places. The team around me, I feel like they kind of feel the culture and they've started suggesting things that normally most, it feels weird saying bosses, but most bosses would be like, there's no chance we're doing that. We're kind of like, let's just try it. Let's just see. So it's kind of similar to Ben's concept of if it costs less than $5,000, why not do it? From my perspective, if you do something like everyone else, you've got to find an edge. You're either going to be really good at it, you've either got to have a hell of a lot of money but for me, far easier is to actually use your brain to think of doing things in creative ways that people are just not thinking about, that corporates that are focused on money aren't necessarily engaging their minds in. You know, that gives you a unique edge. Thank you very much, Ben. Can we have a round of applause for Ben Cohen of TaxiBox? How funny that Ben's wife is sick of hearing the word taxi box. Good thing he's got a strong belief in himself and his business. Thanks Ben, that's officially the first time we've had two founders with the same first name on this podcast. Next time on Masters Series, Family Business Primer. If you thought starting a business was hard, try doing it with your family. But in all seriousness, right now, I'm talking into a recorder being operated by my husband and I wouldn't have it any other way. We'll meet two family-based founders and find out the benefits and disadvantages of working with your loved ones. Until then, I'm Sarah Shenanmish from Written and Recorded, and for We Teach Me, this is the Masters Series.